Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Carolina Gropa, your host and fellow producer, and this is Life with Kaka. I'm so excited to continue my chat with badass producer Barbara Muschietti. If you missed part one last week, I highly recommend checking that out before listening to this one. It's actually really great timing because in this part, we dive deep into the transition from making these big high concept commercials with her brother to her first feature film, Mama, with that year's breakout star, Jessica Chastain. When that movie opened number one in the box office that year, Guillermo del Toro, who came on as an EP on the film, told her and Andy that now they get to make yet another movie because you only build a career one movie at a time. And they did. They made the first It movie, and that broke records in 2017. And now, It Chapter 2, which just came out on Friday, September 6th, also broke records when it became the second best global opening for a horror film of all time, with a cool $185 million. I guess her and Andy get to make yet another movie. We also talk about making yourself indispensable what terrifies her, and why taking breaks is crucial. I'm so glad that you're here spending this hour with me. And without further ado, let's dive back in. Um, Okay, so I just want to like do a quick summary. So you, Argentina, then you you email your brother a letter or an email and you say, hey, we're going to do this. This was before email. Before this email. This was like Fax? written letter. I, we Hand- faxed a lot. We faxed <laughs> a lot. But this was probably like a a, a written letter with, with printed photographs that I sent my parents. Oh my God. You should Argentina. find that letter. That would be amazing. I'm, my parents kept it also because I did like a spreadsheet of like... Uh, not a spread. Of like, course, you yeah, did a spreadsheet. You're such a producer. How the success was gonna happen? We, I had no idea what success <laughs> was. I didn't know, but I just, uh, yeah. So I mean, you. I'm sure you made a compelling argument because here you are, and Andy's just like crushing it with you. But so then you guys decide to work together. You're at UCLA, and then you start kind of figuring out how you're gonna f- make your first things together. But you had already been doing, I guess, productions in Barcelona and in, in working in sort of that world is that when you guys went there so what happened was that i i when i graduated uh from UCLA while i was studying at UCLA i would be a script reader for producers i would do you know coverage mm-hmm. um and and forever you know even when i was in argentina i had paid on sets of commercials i was always like in trying it. to learn and mm-hmm. you know do stuff and hardly ever getting paid but i i was just there and when i graduated uh from ucla i got into a panic because i was on a um basically after you study in the us Mm-hmm. They give you uh, a one-year visa to do practical training, the practical training visa. This, I mean, I don't know if this even exists anymore, but this is how it used to be. Yeah. So, um, but you have a year to prove yourself and then get, uh, you know, get a work permit from somebody. And I just needed to get a job in the industry. So um, when I graduated... I I literally I had balls of steel. I don't know how I did these things. I really don't <laughs> understand how. Um, 
But I knew that sending my resume out to production companies, I knew no one in the business. I knew no, I had no like in in the business. Um, I started sending resumes out. No one ever uh, responded. You know, responded. Yeah. Um, and I was watching TV late at night, and I found out that they were making. Uh, they were making Evita that Antonio Banderas and Madonna were oh, making yeah. Evita in Argentina. Mm. So the next morning, I get um, in my you know it was the the early days of internet. We're talking about ninety five, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out that um, Alan Parker was directing it, and I found his you know, his production company in in London, that the production company was in London. Um, I called them and I said... That's an expensive call. Yeah, it was yeah. an expensive call. That's it was deal. back in the days. And I called huh. them and I said, um, you know, I'm Argentinian and I'm interested. I knew nothing. I mean, I was such a chicken, <laughs> like a, a, a baby chick that knew absolutely nothing. And... Um, I called them and they said, um, yeah, but we're running, you know, we're running the production from L.A., from Alan Parker's office in L.A., just send your resume there. So his company was Sturdy Hands, I remember. It was on Sunset Boulevard. I I faxed my resume, which was just so full of steroids that I can't even uh, <laughs> a lot of fluff language <laughs> oh my god it was just insane and with it came a letter you know with it I sent a letter a fax a fax it, yeah saying that basically they couldn't do the production in Argentina without me that they were gonna get <laughs> you know they didn't know the ins and outs and that I did I didn't I, I knew nothing um but then Five days go by and I get a call from, you know, the production supervisor, um, Nick Kipsley Cox. And he says, listen, I know nothing about you, whatever on this resume, but let's go have coffee. And we happen to live five blocks from each other. I was living in Venice. Um, And we just had coffee. And during coffee... uh, he said, are you interested in commercials? And I said, no, I just graduated film from UCLA. I'm yeah. not you know, doing commercials. I'm making movies. I'm making movies. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, that's too bad because on Monday I start, you know, producing this big commercial and I thought I could try you out. And of course I said, I'll do anything. <laughs> so I was like the the literally the garbage PA on this commercial big commercial I was just like collecting garbage yeah on set that trash was, sweeps yeah. yeah and I remember you know just lifting the bag it was summer in San Bernardino oh, and just man. being bathed in garbage juice um <laughs> yeah it was lovely um but after the job I guess he liked uh the garbage juice baths on me and uh he said okay I'm going to go to Argentina to suss it out um, because we're starting, you know, we're trying to figure out if, you know, if it will work for, for Evita. Um, I'll call you in about six months. He went to Argentina and he called me the following day and said, I think I need a trusted translator. So I flew, 
you know, I flew myself, actually. You flew out. Wow. I flew myself there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I started working right away. And I never left the movie. I I made myself as indispensable as possible that I that I was Argentinian, that I knew the language, of course, helped a Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. But I also made myself available 22 hours a day. Yeah. Um, And I worked so hard and i remember <laughs> i remember meetings um in which i could feel that i should have not been in those meetings and and a couple of the producers were looking at me suspiciously <laughs> like what the hell is she doing yeah you what's know? her deal what is she doing here <laughs> but you know I wasn't getting kicked out, so you know I learned. I I I can track all of my jobs from that job, um, and I made great friends, and I had great teachers, and I love Ellen Parker, who's yeah. a master, and Lisa Moran, his wife, another you know just amazing uh, producer. David Wimbry, Darius Conji. I I uh, had so many mentors on on that film. Yeah. So then you were you were really really ready, I guess, when Mama came around. Like you had that in you, so you were ready to tackle all of the challenges. Yeah, but without knowing it, you know, yeah. I had like I had picked up skills. Um, I made Mama when I was we started when I was thirty seven, I think, and that meant that I had been picking up skills for fifteen years. Yeah. But I didn't have somebody that had given me the roadmap of this is how you make a film. I had to kind of create my own. And I had Mm -hmm. the most amazing right hand, uh, Christina in Spain, who was our first intern in in the commercial production company. And she was she is, you know, master a very young master producer and um you know we figured it out yeah yeah that's what you do so talk a little bit about because Guillermo del Toro came on that project as an EP right Mm -hmm. and so how did that all work for you having that support and obviously mama from the outside was the thing that sort of catapulted you into inside the castle yes that that put you in the fast track to the castle you know so talk a little bit about that transition and then I'm curious to for you to reflect on from that time and where you are now here you know end of July 2019 it too it chapter two how have you grown as a producer well we were making Andy and I were making Andy directing me producing um high-end comedy commercials basically you know cars coca-colas just you know big big production toys but they're still 30 seconds you know right. uh, yeah um and we wanted to make a movie we desperately wanted to make a movie um we knew that we we had written a script and we wanted a company piece for the script because if you looked, if you Googled Andy, all you could see was comedy. So we felt that we needed to show him directing something that was not comedy. So we did this style exercise. It wasn't even a short. It was a style exercise. We we knew we wanted to do something impactful and very short because, you know, if it's, you know, if it was bad then, just, what, two thousand. 
2009, 2010, it's even worse now, which is attention span mm-hmm. um, of the Anybody. population. I'm not <laughs> yeah. talking about the youth. I'm talking about the agents and uh, yeah. yeah, the business. So we made a three-minute short that was not related really to the script we had written. The script we had written was horror. Um, so we made a horror style exercise. Hmm. Uh, three minutes long, a lot of it poses a lot of questions. Uh, got to Guillermo through our dear friend Russell Ackerman. Guillermo called us, and um, he said, "Guys, I want to help you get this made. We can make it in, you know, in Spanish in Spain for two million, or we can make it in English for twenty million." Um, but just letting you know, if you make it in Spanish for two million, then somebody will get the remake rights and make it for twenty, and you'll be very jealous. Right. Yeah. So we had a hard time, you know. This is, I mean, it's it is so crazy. We were in such we didn't know how fragile um, the the project was in the sense of how many roadblocks there were. There, there, mm. there was going to be like there are in any film project. Yeah, um, we didn't know better, so we were like, "Oh, I don't know. Should we make it in Spanish and be completely independent and do what we want to do?" Um, <laughs> like you know, in the high horse, and and suddenly. <laughs> It was great because we had an intern in the production company, super smart. He's now in LA. He's a he's a producer, yeah, uh, Pablo, and he looked at us and went, "Do it for twenty. Yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong?" So we kind of woke up from our you know artistic like fart cloud, and we said, "Okay, we're gonna do it." You know, with Guillermo. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guillermo, um, Guillermo put us with uh, Universal, and it was really, you know, it was, it was a negative pickup for them. They had no risk because we had we had raised so much soft money, even when I didn't know what soft money <laughs> was, uh, that it was a very safe bet um, for them. And Guillermo said uh, to us, "Well, you know, I'm going to be shooting." Pacific Rim in Canada. So, um, you know, come come shoot it in Canada. So, which was ideal because we had this treaty, this co-production treaty. And for anybody that's thinking of producing with Europe or with Canada, don't be overwhelmed by the amount of paperwork or the language mm. in these treaties. Um, try to get help from a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, great advice and yeah. just get it done yeah um lost a law student that's what you do you know young producer and a law student will get this uh um, yeah done so um he we developed the script andy and i wrote the first draft of mama then neil cross came in and did a polish um and I'm sure that without us knowing, the project fell, uh, you know, fell on it, you know, just just got pulverized a hundred times um, because 
when you're having something so small compared to the larger, I, I remember our, our executive was managing our tiny little project and he was also managing uh, in, in the studio um, our IPD. Mm. So his brain was definitely right. was, uh, somewhere else, which for us actually was kind of good because we just like slipped right under the radar of <laughs> big problems. Yeah. Um, and we were cheap. Um so um nothing was moving um here in the US but suddenly we got a you know a saving grace um at some festival I don't remember if it was TIFF or what festival Guillermo had a conversation um with the head of Universal uh International uh basically uh they were running from the UK mm. and he said yeah sure let's let's take over this and they started helping us do a roadmap on the movie and basically before we knew it um you know we had we're a, off you know yeah. we we were asked to do a cash flow and then we had a delay because I don't remember what the delay was about, but Guillermo said, spend money, go spend money, go ask for more money and spend money. So I said, okay, we're going to do another short. We're going to do a test on Mama. So we asked for $50,000, which really in the, the scheme of things is nothing. Nothing. But yeah. we felt like we were spending money and they, <laughs> they were more invested in it. Yeah. So we shot this uh, second short. Um, and we just kept on going and I would send emails, um, saying, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to spend this. So if you don't write back and tell me not to do it, we're going to do it. Yeah. And I got so much done with this technique that <laughs> I can't even, you know, I, I, I can't even believe, well. Uh, how you know how how far we got with yeah. this i mean we were prepping the film in canada um by not getting an answer really on the <laughs> <laughs> which was fantastic i wish you guys could all see her face she's mischievous <laughs> and then you know we got extra lucky because um we uh we need to cast the movie mm -hmm. And we needed an Annabelle, a special Annabelle. And I'm watching, you know, and we're fantasizing about different actors. And one day I'm watching um, trailers on Apple TV. And I see um, I see um, a trailer for The Tree of Life. Mm. And I go, that's Annabelle. Jessica Chastain. Mm -hmm. So... We call our agent and we say, please, let's set something up. And they set up a Skype call. And I have to get, give credit to our then agent, Mark, uh, who said, guys, don't do a Skype. Come to L.A. This was a Wednesday. We were having a sit down with or a Skype with her on Friday. So Thursday, we got on a plane arrived in LA and sat with her for two hours and she was amazing. Yeah. Um, and we connected 
um, in so many levels. Andy and her are like artistic twins. It's mm. very odd. They like <laughs> the, they have very similar tastes and they <laughs> they love dancing you know uh, swing and <laughs> and they love uh, ukulele and old songs and it was it was fantastic and um she ended up saying yes yeah. although i think ca was a little reluctant yeah because she was like such a rising star at that moment had just gone um, you know, an accolade in, in Cannes for Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. She, she had just broken. Right. The help had just happened. Yes. Yeah. It was and like their first thing that people were turning, you know, heads. Who is so this girl? They were mm-hmm. a little like reluctant to, yeah. you know, have their gem, um, you know, on a project with a first time filmmaker that was genre. But she made her own decision, which I think it it is very much. Um, and by the way, she's got, you know, Hilda is like for me one of the greatest yeah. agents in the business yeah, and Hilda's pretty great. that's like a badass woman but and 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 I I'm pretty sure Hilda was for the project but um you know she she makes a lot of her own decisions she's uh Jess is just a strong sensitive woman yeah. and I love that I just you know she's my kind of you know you're kind of lady <laughs> yeah and she's one of my besties she really yeah. is you know and it's uh i i have you know true admiration well for it's her. like you, you said you, you spent so much time with the people that you work with and to be making another movie with her it speaks volumes right to the friendship and the bond that you guys have developed that that wouldn't just happen if the first one was a disaster <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> behind no, the exactly. scenes you know what i mean it could have been very successful but if the the sort of interpersonal wasn't there and the the bond i think who knows yeah no but also you know since we made the our first movie she then became a superstar and you know she she never changed she's, yeah she's, that's good to hear the same yeah uh, she's great great woman that's really so. good to hear okay so then mama and now here we are yes it's been what so it was 20 it came out 2011 you guys know you made it in 09 it came out in 2011 no it came out we we shot it, shot it in, in 2011 2011 and it came out 2013 okay so we're six years into it what in what ways do you feel like you've grown as a producer since oh um a lot and i've also aged <laughs> <laughs> that's good aging is a blessing i i'm i could not be happier than I am right now. Good. I'm, I'm very, I'm 47 and I'm so happy I'm 47. Yeah. And I'm so happy I'm not in my 20s because my 20s were so riddled with the anxiety of being very ambitious, but not knowing how the hell I was going to, I was going to accomplish mm-hmm. the things I wanted to accomplish. So I was sleepless and uh, trying to, figure out what the path was and you cannot figure out the path right you know? it's uh you just march through it and eventually you realize oh wow i do know how to do this mm-hmm. um so yeah um but after mama um we got a call uh from universal that had you know successfully distributed mama um to do the mummy <laughs> and um <laughs> we were like well you know the, the script is not there and we didn't understand that because 
truly mama, although we had the support of Universal in certain territories and the distribution. Uh, we did not, we were not, it was not a studio film. So we mm-hmm. did not understand the, the, the process of the studio, and especially with a film like The Mummy, which is like a massive yeah. production. Um, That's a big step, too, to go from what, what essentially is an independent movie. And, yes. And that happened to be so. distributed, right, by a big yeah. company to jump into the shoes of the expectations that come with yeah. something like The Mummy. That's... Yeah. Sounds real stressful. <laughs> it was um it was a huge leap and also because you know we we really did not understand the system. We didn't understand that people in Hollywood have a hard time verbalizing difficult things and that everything is glorious and great. We love this, we love this even when they don't love it and they know that they can't sell it. Um it took us a good two years to realize that that is just a language of the business and a part of the business because it is such an intrinsic small industry that there's a chronic fear of stepping on toes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to be careful. And, you know, we didn't understand you know the the politics right the inner workings but also like they told us they loved that why are you know are we hearing from other places that they're not so um we got on the mummy and at that stage i think um a lot of of things were changing in the studio at universal and we we got hired to do a horror adventure film and then that changed, uh, not on our part, but I think the, the, the studio decided to change strategy. But it took them about 10 months to let us know, clearly. Mm. A lot of people were ne- renegotiating contracts. You know, it's, it's those things that that's why I would have loved to have a studio job right. because I didn't understand those things. And How could you, though, right? It's such a small pool of people who get to have that life experience that yeah. it's almost dumb that anyone would expect you to know that that inner working of that system. It's yeah, and impossible. It's, and again, they keep the door very tightly closed. Yes, there's no books written about it. I'm sure that no one's doing a podcast <laughs> about the inner workings of studio negotiations. You know, so oh. where do you learn that? Yeah, but we so we we were in L.A. Um, developing the mummy uh for a good 10 months not really you know it it was weird because production wise it's like the studio you know the 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 film is dated and the stages at leafstone are booked and we have a full art department so in some senses it was going very fast mm. but we were never satisfied with where the script was and there was a confusion on definitely the tone of the movie, and to be honest, the genre of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually, after ten months, um, yeah, you know, we understood that we were not the right people, and so did Universal. It was a lovely, you know, mutual breakup, <laughs> I think. But you know, Universal. I mean, they were nothing. No, no one was nothing but nice. Mm-hmm. It's just that things were not. Yeah. That magic. It's yeah. the magic you talk about. But at that point, you know, because we had been 10 months living on Sunset Boulevard in a fancy hotel, not really understanding how 
all that was being expensed. You know, it's, uh, the, <laughs> those are things. Actually, I don't think they're happening in two thousand no, uh, in two thousand nineteen anymore. Are definitely cut. Um, get an Airbnb at best yeah. into Luca Lake. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, after being here for ten months, we had developed a slate. And we were like, okay, we'll stay here, you know, because we we were living in Barcelona. We came here to do the mummy, then the mummy didn't happen. So we said, well, we, we have enough projects that we're going to try to push. It was a very hard two years, I, I have to say, mm. um, because we basically moved to L.A. and um, had quite a bit of development, but we're still learning how the system worked um and we were not making any money um and there is i have to say and i was talking to uh, a couple directors the other day on this what a massive chasm there is between your first film and your second film especially if your first film um had some commercial success, which Mama did, which was a bit of an accident, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, we were not thinking that would happen. Yeah. And then, of course, that that's when, that, you know, the pressure really of, of choosing the right project sets in. Because the first project, it's just... You just want to make a movie, any mm-hmm. movie. You just want to make a movie. Yeah. Once you've made a movie, you have to... Build a know, career. Well, right? build a career and say, God, I, sh- I don't want to fuck it up. Now that I, kn- I kind of know how difficult this is, mm. I have to be careful with my choices. If I make the wrong choice, you know. And Guillermo, I remember the, the weekend that Mama opened and it was number one in the U.S. Guillermo told us, well, guys, now you get to make one more movie. <laughs> 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 because it's, it's one movie at a time, yeah. you know. This can be your last movie every oh, time. So. I know, it's the worst it's tough it's not for the faint of heart no no, it's really crazy special type of human and it's not for the long-time planners because there's no way you can (laughs) there's no guarantee and nobody Mm -hmm. has a crystal ball like you said there's no formula that's just such a wild it's like you have to really be the kind of person who just loves to be on a roller coaster at all times even though you're like vomiting and getting motion sickness I and love it. You're like, I love this most of the time, you know, like just, yeah, hot it's, mess. It's, you know, it's very comparable to marathon runners. Yeah. When you ask them right after a marathon, are you going to do another one? Uh, oh, I don't know. It just, it's you know, intense. but then like 10 days later, you're training again. For yeah. A marathon. So you're like, how do we get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a good parallel. Um, I just want to check on time. Are you good? Because it's seven thirty. I just want to make sure. Ooh, yes, I'm fine. Okay, I'm fine. Because we've been oh, talking. We I talk. can talk forever. <laughs> like this is a good and a bad problem. Because then I have to edit this, and I'm like, oh, I talk a lot. Um, no, <laughs> but I, I, the, these this moment is so special and rare that I always want to like honor your time. But if you have time, I can keep going. Let's go. <laughs> so, um, okay, what are the shifts that you've made, and how have you grown in this time then since? You went through this two-year period. You got to make another movie, clearly, which was it. And then that became an even bigger success than Mama. Just took everything to the next level. And now you guys are in this sort of zeitgeist of the genre specifically. And everyone's got their eyeballs on you, especially with the sequel coming out. Like, how are you feeling about that? Well, um, 
truly from 2016, no, mid 2015, which was when we first got involved with it, mm -hmm. to now, I have become an adult. <laughs> Finally, at 47? 47, I'm an adult. So there's, there's hope for all of us. There's, yeah. Because I still feel like <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Well, we just made a movie about that, so check <laughs> Check out chapter two and you'll... <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going. I, I like. Here's the thing. I never watched the originals. I do not like scary movies. I had a brother. He's not my directing partner. He's one of my closest friends. But growing up, he, instead of us like reading things and collaborating together, he would oftentimes, because he's a big brother, yes, you know, lock me in a room and force <laughs> me to watch uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger and... Um, What was the other one? The the doll, Chucky. Yes. So I grew up very not interested in that genre because it just mess. I'm, I already have a very active ima imagination and I'm an anxious person. So I don't need more triggers. You know, that's how I feel. But I will say that last year, everybody was like, okay, I know you don't like scary movies, but you have to watch it because it's so special. Thank you. And it was true. And I was like, if you remove the horror elements of this movie, which are terrifying, by the way, It's a really incredible coming of age <laughs> comedy to my, in my opinion, you know? Well, yeah. And so that's why I'm like all in for the second one, even though the trailer and then the scene that you guys released is just terrifying. It's like the one horror movie that I like you monster up the energy and then definitely have fears later of like, is Penny like in my closet? Like, could this be happening to me? Because it, it's true. Like that seed is so planted And it's it's fascinating the people who love that genre and love that that like feeling life at that level. It's interesting. It's you know, um, I have to say that um, contrary to your experience with the <laughs> horror, I since I was a little kid, I found scary movies. Um, To be, to, they would give me like the most amazing high. Yeah, like, exhilarating. Exhilarating. And the best part of it was that I could then uh, compartmentalize that feeling, that, you know, that the fear, mm. basically. So um, it was something I would watch a movie and just go for a ride you know, during that movie and ah! and then it was over and, you know, that was, that emotion was kept in a, in a very safe drawer. Interesting. And I was fine, um, which didn't happen with other films in which, you know, I'm not good with cruelty. So mm. cruelty, I, I saw a couple of films when I was a kid where, you know, they, If they kill an animal or if they, you know, those are things that... Real things. Uh, yeah. yeah, that just, I I was always, uh, as an escapist, I was always very bad at processing. So hmm. I would avoid those films like The Plague. I still haven't seen the Haneke's Amour because I can't, you know, no. Yeah. Um, but, you know, give me... You know, give me the howling. Give me so you're know. so you're not leaving Warner Brothers at night in the dark by yourself, getting in your car and driving and having thoughts of like because you've been staring. I mean, I guess with with this movie with Pennywise, like you you know you've seen the actor go through the. It could demystify that, even though you see the screen, you see it all come together. But there aren't any films that you've seen that make you sort of like 
Oh, this, like, I <laughs> love when when I find something that scares me. I freaking love it, and it's in, in film generally. I, yeah. I I I I don't really get like I can walk, and I I do it all the time. I walk into my house at night, and I don't even turn on the lights. Mm. You know, I you know I walk around the house. I get you know a glass of water or whatever, and I don't turn on the lights. I'm not the darkness doesn't. Uh, scare me i don't know why i don't know it's uh it's something may be wrong in my brain i it's don't just... think there's anything wrong with that <laughs> that's a, that's amazing i think that you like you said you found a way to compartmentalize those feelings and you know that monsters aren't real they don't exist they're there for like an emotional sort of response and once that experience is done it gets tucked away i mean as evidenced by all the penny penny ones <laughs> that are uh staring at me right now i have a lot of toys in the office yeah basically. i think it's oh it's like for me just the the terrible acts that humans can do to other people is always more terrifying than any monster 100%. and so it's like what it triggers for me is that part of my brain not that i think i'm gonna turn around and see a scary clown but like the scary clown is gonna be a man who wants to do something terrible to me, <laughs> you know, just a normal human man, like doesn't have to be in any sort of thing. And and I think it activates that part of your brain of fight or flight. Like what yeah. would you do if you were in that situation? So, Well, I get asked all the time what scares me and what scares me is guns. I'm terrified yes. of guns. I'm not terrified of clowns. I'm terrified of guns because that is the real tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and when I hear that, you know, a guy goes into a garlic festival with an automatic weapon that he buys at a Nevada gun show, how the hell did we get here? I don't, yeah. I do not understand it. It's wild. I don't understand it. So. Yeah. A whole another bummer conversation for yeah. another time. Let's talk about happy we'll thoughts. We'll talk about happy things. Okay, so bringing it back, um, what has your experience been like as a woman in horror specifically, which, yes, all of Hollywood is very male-dominated, but I find that horror especially seems to be very male-dominated. However, I find it interesting that a large percentage of the actually movie-going population who loves horror are women. Latina women, especially. So quadrant wise, our strongest audience is young females. And this has been proved again and again and again and again. We test the film, you know, we've tested this one, I think, seven times at this point. And every time it's the same quadrant with the highest number. I, you know, I don't think too much about being a woman that's the truth yeah i'm i've always been very androgynous in my behavior at work especially and my closest allies both both professional and and friend you know my friendships tend to be very androgynous people mm. in the sense that um, it's hard to explain, but you know, the, the, like people that are completely comfortable with men and women, and there's there's not a, yeah. a difference. Which, of course, there's a difference, but there shouldn't be a difference when we talk about work. Right? Um, there there just shouldn't be. Uh, that said, I uh, my best working relationships long term have been with women because i find them more efficient that's <laughs> that's my experience yeah again i have 
been incredibly lucky that I don't think I have, because we generate our own work. I have not been in situations where I've found myself uh, sidetracked because I am a woman. But I do think pay difference is still an issue. Big one. Big one. And I think sometimes I've had to fight, especially when I, I started getting to bigger checks, that I had to be very, very clear. And how, how did you fight that fight? Lawyers and agents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not dropping the ball right. with lawyers and agents mm. uh, and not taking the first offer and right. just, you know, just pushing through. You, you have to. Yeah. Um, you know, I do the work. I do the work. I get it done. So you should be paid for it. Yeah. Right. Equally, if not more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call me crazy. <laughs> oh, but it's yeah. it's true. It's true. No, that's good. I think it's like the energy to me. What you're saying about the androgynous thing is, it's the. It sounds like perhaps you're not necessarily drawn to people who. The the dominant aspects of their personalities tend to be either overly masculine or overly feminine. Exactly. And it's not to say everybody's on the spectrum of some sort, you know, and the people who are just, I think, connected to both sides of who they are tend to be perceived as androgynous. And to me, that's just that should be the goal to just be comfortable in your own skin. And you can be a woman who is extremely um, masculine perceivably and your work ethic and still be extremely vulnerable and sensitive and delicate in many ways, you know, and be a sensitive human and be that person on set, like you were saying earlier, who's going to be able to shift the dial a little more to the feminine side and see what's actually happening with the crew or with what's, you know, in this moment. And that, that is an inherently female quality yeah, on the spectrum, but it's the people who can kind of go back and forth and don't feel like showing the, the feminine side is a flaw to themselves exactly to me that's what i think you're saying like i'm super latin and super sensitive and i you know (laughs) i i cry and i laugh and and i occasionally scream (laughs) (laughs) i've learned i've learned that occasionally screaming is like amazing sometimes that's all the doctor ordered yeah an ex-boyfriend uh told me once you have to slam the cat once in a while, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, sometimes people forget. You've got to remind. Yeah. Uh, in Brazil, it's this idea of like, sometimes you got to take off the flip-flop. I know you're wearing Avayanas, <laughs> I think. They're, they're, they, they're, they look like them. You just got to take the flip-flop and like actually throw it. How do you say that? Chanel. 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 So people know that you're just like you're yeah. not you're not messing around. It's amazing. That's a... I think it'd be incredible, like a producer who just is f- infamous for sometimes throwing a flip flop at people. Like you could be that lady. I'm here for it. I am in a way. Like... <laughs> yeah, if that's like without Barbara, that's the that's the thing about her when she's when she's serious, she's throwing she's throwing flip flops. Uh, her avianas. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by avianas. <laughs> um, but. I have a few more questions and then we can wrap it up. And if there's anything that I haven't touched upon, let me know. Turn on the light. Or it's if gone. We want Grace We've been to talking wine, for so long. I know. Oh, I it's like so already crack. getting dark outside. Um, <laughs> there's three questions. I'll ask them and you can answer them or not. It's up to you. But the first one is, what's your guilty pleasure just in your life? Um, 
what uh, what do you think creates career longevity? Mm-hmm. And then the the advice question that you know I'm sure you've answered a million times on all the panels and things you've done. Those are sort of the three questions that I want to wrap it up with. And then anything else that you want to add? My guilty pleasure. Um, it's not really a guilty pleasure. It's what happens every time I shoot a movie. But I will gain 20 pounds. That's <laughs> just reality. Yeah. And I, you know, I deal what do with you, it. What do you eat? What's the... Anything that's put under my face so anything at craft services do you have like a well what what happens generally is that there's like this friendly competition or sometimes unfriendly between craft and catering Mm. and it's who can feed you the most so (laughs) you have a copious lunch and then craft service comes with like uh, you know a tray full of cookies and they tell you that they have specifically baked them for you and <laughs> it's a lie it's a lie it's a lie <laughs> but you fall for it um and then it's also you know by our 13th you you're just care. gonna jam whatever is out there and i and i deal with it in the sense okay well i'm shooting i'm gonna be 20 pounds heavier and then when i come back yeah it's getting harder yeah. you know the old metabolism for um, sure so but you know Whatever. Yeah. Um, there are worse things. So that's my guilty pleasure. And then I love traveling. Mm. That's that's really, But that's not guilty. That's no. I love traveling. No. That's just yeah. a, a wonderful thing to love. Um, then what is the second question? The second question was, um, what do you think creates career longevity? Uh, career longevity, I think, uh, can only happen... This may sound like a cliche, uh, when you truly love what you do. And even if you love it, you are going to, at some point, be disenamored by it or exhausted. Um, The solution to that is take breaks. Everybody needs to take a break. I've been working straight for four years. Now, and guess so what ready? I'm going to do as soon as this movie's out? I'm going to take a fat break. Where are you going to go? Well, I was looking at the map. I, <laughs> this is very sad. And I told my boyfriend today about it. And he was telling me, this is so sad. Uh, I bought this table mat uh, for kids that has mm. the map of the world. I used to travel, you know, far away when I lived in Europe mm-hmm. for 14 years. And I haven't done, like, serious travel that's not for work. Like, I went to Toronto this weekend for seven hours. Ugh. So I don't, I don't want to do that kind no. of travel. That's I want not the to, fun kind. <laughs> I want to get lost and go to supermarkets that have new stuff that I've never seen. Yeah, and that's the try, best. like strange foods. Yes, and the supermarkets are always my favorite. I love it. It's my favorite part. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, as I said, take a break. Breaks take are important. Breaks. Recalibrate. I guess on that note, I guess you maybe just answered, but is that how you practice self-care? Yeah. Taking yeah. breaks, even if you can't travel necessarily, just detaching, disconnecting. Is that your way of resetting your soul? Yeah. When things I, get cray. I mean, this is this this is a term that's very trendy right now. Um, I am and I've always been an introvert, which means that I need the the, the way that I recharge is by being alone. 
yes. alone. And that's the way I am. So when I need to recharge, I clear the weekend or the schedule or whatever, and I spend time alone, a hundred percent alone. And that cures me. That allows me to think about the next steps. And that also allows me to do whatever the hell I want. And I'm very lucky because I'm in uh, the most amazing relationship. Congrats. Um, thank you. We just got engaged. So I'm really <gasps> Congrats. happy to see that, that balloon over there. Oh, my God. She <laughs> said yes. I said yes. In case I you said were yes. wondering. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't notice that. That's amazing. He understands me and he yeah. understands that I need to be alone sometimes. And my boyfriend, fiance, Arthur Phillips, is a writer. As a novelist, as a, as a writer, um, you tend to spend most of your day alone. And then at night, you want Company. something a little yeah. more social. Producers, on the other hand. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. We talk all day with people. We yeah. talk and talk and talk. So at night, I need to, like, reassemble. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I think we'll wrap up with what would your advice be? with? Okay. So someone who specifically, not just someone who wants to produce, but someone who looks at your career and what you've done and where you are today in your career, right? Because who knows what the next decade holds. Right now, you're sort of a well-known producer in the horror space, I guess, mm -hmm. right? Would you say that's fair? Yeah. So someone who's looking at you and say, you know what? I want to be a horror film producer. I want to eventually work with the studios. I, I maybe am from a different country. I want to follow in a similar path. And while that's impossible, because we know everybody's journey is so different, for that specific person who is looking for that guidance, yeah. then what advice do you give? Well, uh, the first thing is to understand what a producer does, I think. Yeah. And there is no clear path in mm -hmm. the sense that whatever you're doing is the right thing. Just make stuff. Yeah. Just make stuff. Um, I also s recommend um, making shorts. Make short shorts. Um <laughs> Don't make long shorts because no one watches them. And I'm sorry to all the filmmakers out there making half-hour shorts. I promise you, people just don't watch them. Right. So, What's um, the sweet spot, you think, for length then? Between three and four minutes. Um, and I'm not proud of that, but I'm not marking that. It's, right. It is what... It's the reality. You know, I yeah. see people all the time before watching something, scrolling to the end to see how long it is. Um, so be <laughs> before watching content, they want to know how long, how much time they will have to invest in that. So um, get involved with, with shorts. Learn how to produce a short. Um, then get into commercials. Don't don't snob out commercials because they're an amazing school mm. amazing school of managing human beings and learning human processes and getting paid uh, good so money it's like yeah good money because it's all about availability um and then i i get a lot of this especially now i think when i was younger this was not even uh, a possibility, but I get a lot of younger people not being completely available for the jobs. Mm. They're more worried about 
what they're not going to be able to do. Part of their introduction is telling me, I don't know, how their, their life will interfere in what, uh, in the job I'm about to, to give them. Don't do that. You know, if you want to enter this career, you know, go in head first and yeah. just, and, and then, you know, then you can realize, you know, okay, that, you know, this is for me or this isn't for me, but production is a lifestyle. You can't avoid it. So if, you know, if you're going in and meeting producers and starting with, yeah, but I can't do this and I can't do the other thing, um, I know that this seems very basic, but I've run into this problem so often mm. that I end up hiring not necessarily the, the the people that on paper are the the most educated or the highest skilled, but the people that want the freaking job that yeah. are hungry mm-hmm. because a lot of producing is about hunger appetite appetite for yes. craft services or for catering. <laughs> that too free food people <laughs> oh my god that's incredible advice is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap i um, mean i could talk to you forever so you, you have to what? kick me out <laughs> it's it's truly i have to say after having been in the business and commercials or in film for a good 27 years it's an amazing life it's a great great job you just you just have to embrace it don't be yeah. scared of what you will or will not be able to do when you're doing the job mm-hmm. just live it and you make your choices as you go it's yeah. um you know you're never gonna get bored so that's for sure <laughs> that's for sure thank you so much thank you carolina you're so was, thank you fun. oh my gosh i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad i provide the fun and the knowledge <laughs> And that's this week's episode. I loved every single second of my time with Barbara. I left our chat feeling inspired and motivated and just all around good feels. I mean, what an honor to get to have this deeper insight and learn about the nitty gritty of her career and her path and all the hard work that she's put in to get to where she is today. So I'd love to hear what you think. What did you take away from this week's episode? Hit me up. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Life with Kaka. Thank you once again for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>